So continuing on, to backtrack how we miss things, and the prodigal son were received back into father's love and family. He got his goods that he felt it was entitled, and the father gave him a bunch of goods as being a good steward at one time, but then he left the father's house, and later on we find out the father said he was dead to me. When he left the father's authority, he was no longer my son. And then he said he's come back and he's alive again. And so he forgave me. But there's nowhere that says he got goods back and he was on equal standing with the other son. God received him into the family, but his stewardship has failed. And it may have taken him years to gain more of that. He was a different standing. See? And that's how it happens. God receives the backslider with joy, but it doesn't mean they get everything they had before. They forfeited many things. And as the prodigal sons, he had a right attitude. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son because of what I did. I'll be one of your servants. And the father said, no, you'll be back in the family. You'll be better than the servant. But you may not have the trust and the stewardship and my faith in you until you learn that because you forfeited that. So there are consequences in everything that we do. So God does not give us, in verse 7, those in mature ministries he's talking about, fear and cowardice. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was mainly for boldness. It was not just for speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is praying in the Spirit, and it has its place. But why did a person need boldness? <laughs> because the apostles showed us when they went to present the gospel, they were often beaten by the priestly family. They were persecuted. God gave them the boldness and the courage to endure this. They weren't cowards hiding in a room after Jesus was crucified. They were bold. And so Paul prayed that again several times. He asked the church, he said, pray that I be given boldness to proclaim. Well, he's probably suffered more than any of them. And he had a stake in the flesh, which was mainly probably a demonic spirit that stirred the Judaizers up. And everywhere he went, stirred them up to persecute him. Extraordinary persecution. And he wanted to be delivered from it. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient. God gave him that to keep him from getting proud and arrogant and thinking he was too special, which he was in some way. <laughs> but he said, I'll give you what you need. But he did not remove it, okay? So God doesn't want us in fear and cowardice. He gives us the power, this is a spiritual thing, of love and discipline the empowering of the Spirit for boldness. For those who proclaim the gospel, the majority of the people are going to reject it, and they're not going to like it, and they're going to persecute you and say all manner of evil against you and stir up the authorities. He's talking about the evangelists, the apostles, those called to the public ministry of evangelism. All Christians bear certain reproaches and persecutions at certain levels, or they may not beat us, but there are people, and you'll find that, that you might want to befriend, and, and they don't want to have enough to do with you. You're a religious fanatic. Your own families and people don't want to have enough. They don't want this. 
So that's a form of persecution. They separate from you. They don't want to fellowship with you. You make them guilty. You disturb them because they know if the true gospel is given, they have to conform. They have to put away the sins of pleasure and all of their self-living, and they don't want to do that. Men love darkness rather than light. That the main reason for the baptism or the infilling of the Spirit for ministry was boldness to carry out the will of God because there are going to be consequences. Jesus immediately told the disciples, as the world hated me, they're going to hate you. So when you see these ministers with thousands and thousands of followers, TV, they've given themselves to the world. There are very few, especially if they're popular, they're false shepherds. Because if they were given the true hard gospel, and which is hard to the wicked person, the way of the sinner will be hard in some cases, especially when it comes to the Lord. There's consequences. And Paul talked immediately, continue when he got disciples, the believers. He said, continue in this faith, for through much tribulation will enter the kingdom, because we've already made enemies of the world. If we drink and drug and party with the world, they like us. Oh, individually, we have a problem, but the world loves that kind. They want other people to encourage them in their sinful lifestyle. And so they don't want no one else throwing water on their excitement. Uh That's the corrupt human nature that's inspired by demons, okay, and encouraged by demons. So the spirit filling was for boldness, and its main purpose was in the promotion of the gospel of love, which is goodwill and benevolence. The love of God is goodwill. Many people associate it, of the world even, with affection, a feeling. This is sub. This is not the main foundation. They think, oh, God loves me unconditionally, and because he does, I can do what I want. It's a false assumption. The goodwill is, I'm not judging you. You're in sin, and I can send you to hell today and be justified. But I'm prolonging in my long suffering, giving you time to repent of your evil and turn to me. Benevolence. Benevolence, a goodwill. It says, even God is good to the evil and the unthankful. So he sends great harvests to help people, even the wicked people. Wicked ranchers and farmers, they partake of the same rain. God has given things in nature to bless and to produce various things. And he doesn't point and say, you, you, you get it, you don't. Of course, there are judgments at times when God intervenes with the individual. But it said he's good to the evil and unthankful because he hasn't judged them. And even in his anger of what they're doing and who they are, He still has a part of him that grieves and wants them to be saved and come to the Lord. And it's his grace and long-suffering that most people aren't in hell. He gives them a lifetime as a whole Uh to consider these things. So they're unthankful. Many of the world, you listen to them, you talk to them. 
no matter how much money they got, power, they're always unthankful. They're greedy. They're covetous. They want more. And I saw this woman once in Asia, because they had country, and she was a billionaire. And as they interviewed her, she was bitter and spiteful. And they were asking her, aren't you happy? Oh, no, because this person I know has 10 times more than I have, and I want that. <laughs> she had an idolatrous, covetous nature. She'd never be thankful. See? She wanted to be at the top in her pride and arrogance. Uh -huh. The Christian is told to be thankful for all things. Uh, even the bad things, we're thankful uh, that God has put us in a position that he wants us to be tested. He wants us to be trained. So his chastening is produce holiness and fruitfulness. So it's a good thing. Because if he doesn't do it, hell awaits a person. So it may not be pleasant, but it's for our good. So to train children and discipline them and teenagers is not pleasant to them, but it has a purpose. It's produced something that we want, and that's what God's doing, okay? So the love and the power, and he gives his spirit not only the love in us, but the love for others, and what God intends as we give the gospel and bear witness to it, discipline, uh -huh. to be discipled. He gives us that spirit. He helps us in this so we do not become bitter and despised. The Proverbs, the Psalm says, he that is often reproved stiffens his neck and he shall be cut off without remedy. Well, the thing was, he stiffens his neck. That means he, he fights against it. He rebels against God's dealing. He's willful and stubborn. And so he's standing up against God, becoming an adversary. Uh-huh. And it said the key here is often reproved. God is patient with him. God shows grace. He keeps going after it. He told the Jews under Moses, if you sin against me, I'll punish you. And if you sin against me seven times, I'll punish you seven times. He's letting them know you're not getting away with anything. Because you're supposed to be a covenant people, and you're not bastards, so you're going to be dealt with one way or the other. But the one who stiffens his neck and doesn't conform, finally God's grace says it's enough. This is a rebellious soul, and he's cut off. The branch is cut off from the vine. No longer useful to God. Okay. So he gives the Christian, as we walk in the Spirit, discipline trains us how to discipline ourselves. Yeah, there's things we do to ourselves. We don't need someone else to do it. We know where corrections need it, and we do it. And Paul said, if we should judge ourselves, we would not be judged of the Lord. So if we deal with these things the Lord wants us to deal with, God doesn't have to do it in a stronger measure because he ain't going to play around with this. Once he sees you don't mean business, he knows how to chasten. Hebrews says he has no bastards. A bastard is an undisciplined child that is not legitimate. And the parent, the father, has no use or authority over him because he's outside the covenant. And so that's what God is saying to the Hebrews. 
if you don't endure chastening, then you want to be bastards. And then God won't deal with you at all. He'll deal with you according to your sins. Okay. So the training is for spiritual warfare. It's for the use of spiritual weapons. It's for overcoming and enduring in this pilgrimage, this probation, and this lot that the Lord gives us. One cannot be spiritual mature if one has not been trained in good and evil. A lot of people think, oh, because they re-. I'll tell you something. I know people quote the Bible better than me, and they're not saved. They're not spiritual. Oh, but they can quote scripture. But they're not deep. If they were, they would have been converted a long time ago. I heard a professor years ago at some great university in England. He read the Bible just to see what it was all about. He considered it a foolish book. And then years later, he fell under conviction through preaching and got saved, came to the Lord. And as he started to read the Bible, it started to make sense to him. See, because then he had God's spirit helping and enlightening. Before, he had no spirit to guide him because he was a child of the devil. And God wasn't going to give him spiritual things. Uh-huh. That's what the parables teach us. Oh, the Pharisee got some of the parts of the parable. They didn't get the true meanings. Yet the simple people did. See, it's a spiritual thing we're talking about. It's not an intellectual thing. Seeing things, spotting things, discerning things that are carnal or earthly. A lot of novices, they do things and they try to do things. And that's good that their attitude's right. But what they do is wood, hay, and stubble. See, they're not guided. That's why Paul said, don't put a novice in a places of authority. It'll puff his pride up, and then he'll have to be judged. See, he's not ready for those things. He's not been able to discern these things or been dealt with by the Holy Spirit. So when a person enters into a spiritual realm and we follow the Lord, then at times we understand the authority of Jesus' name and he gives us power to say no to the flesh, the world, the devil. We know that we can refuse these things and get God's help, for there's no temptation that comes upon us that is more than we can bear. That's for the Christian only. That's for the Christian that's in the spirit. If you're doing something evil, that scripture doesn't apply. If you make provision for your fleshly nature, that scripture doesn't apply. That scripture is for those who are trying to follow the Lord and the Spirit. He said then God will allow nothing to tempt you above what you're able, but he'll make a way to escape or he'll give you grace to endure it like he did Paul. Uh-huh. That does not apply to the person, even the Christian who is not following the Lord and is under God's punishment, or he's playing with the flesh, there's no protection. And I know the false shepherds, they'll quote that scripture, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, and they go through all these things. But there's one word they miss that's not there, sin. See, because he's talking to the person who's in the spirit following the Lord. Nothing can separate you from Christ if you're in the Spirit and following the Lord.
But if you proceed into sin, everything can separate you from God. He will separate himself from the backslider and the sinner. Okay? Okay, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He's mainly talking about those with the fivefold ministry and those that are mature Christians. Uh He's talking, it applies to everybody once they grow up in the Lord. But this is why he's talking to Timothy, because Timothy was given special, greater calling and ministries. He was going to be an evangelist and was. He would most likely be acting in the apostolic ministry when Paul was out of the way. Okay. So having these spiritual virtues, he's telling Timothy that you've been given these gifts and ministries and the power of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the testing and the testimony that Christ gives you and your fellow workers. See, Timothy knew he would bear suffering simply because he was in conjunction with Paul. Anybody was around Paul ministry, they knew there was going to be suffering. That was one of the reasons Paul rejected John Mark. He left him at a great time. It's believed when they were under suffering and persecution, John sort of backed away. He was young. But years later, he tells them to send John Mark, for he is profitable to me. But he didn't have time to baby someone and train someone. He needed a co-worker that understood what God was requiring in the front lines of battle. That was not the time to train someone, okay? So the office of those in higher ministries and teaching and overseers and so forth, it brings suffering and tribulation for proclaiming the gospel. So God gives boldness and courage to all to suffer persecution and affliction. The scripture said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if in your Christian life you're not, you need to examine yourself unless you're up in a cave somewhere and you're not around people. But if you're doing that and God wants you to be an intercessor, Let me tell you, then the demons will come after you. You're not going to escape. You're going to have warfare and conflict in this world. The Lord promised that. And anybody gets into the kingdom, remember, it's 12 gates of pearls. And that means suffering. The way into the kingdom is a way of suffering for Christ and his word. And that's why Jesus said, if you don't hate your family and everything else, And your own life, he means in compared to me and your obedience to me, you can't be my disciple. Well, that nullifies a lot of people who think they're Christians because they don't put Christ first when he demands certain things of them. And he's going to test it eventually, okay? So God gives strength and courage and grace to suffer persecution and affliction. And higher callings and ministries have a lot more. When Paul gave his credentials of being an apostle, 
He didn't talk too much until later to decide the miracles and stuff. That was sort of a sideline. He gave the sufferings he did for the gospel as the proof of his apostleship. And he said, we had to bear more than other people. There was much lacking. And he said, and we apostles bear this. He said, you are often counted good among the body of Christ in the world at certain times. But we are counted as the scum of the earth, despised, because the devil stirs up more trouble the higher a person is in maturity and ministry. He has to do that. Verse 9, the gospel, through God's power, the gospel, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternity or from all of his previous plans, even was man sinned in the garden. He already had a plan in effect, okay? The Bible uses terms of Lord sometimes in human terms, but there's some terms that are higher and we can't really explain them too well because of the nature of who God is, knowing everything all the time. So often he will speak as the past and future as if it's now because he's eternal God. He lives in the eternal present, but he has plans for the body of Christ, for the world. He's going to all bring it together according to his own purposes. He's going to use the devil and the wicked people of the world to accomplish his purpose. And even the people cast into the lake of fire and the demons, their smoke shall go up before the Lamb and his angels forever as a memorial of God's holiness against sin and wickedness. This is forever. Okay. God wants his holiness upheld, his justice, and what his attitude and presence will be against sin. It has never changed. Okay. So God has sent his son to save us and to be our salvation and savior. His Holy Spirit does the drawing and convicts us and gives us grace to do our part in repenting and confessing Christ as our Lord. But nowhere does it say that God repents for us or confesses for us. He gives us the ability and grace and helps us do it But the Holy Spirit is called alongside to be the helper, not the doer. He helps us with his power to do what he wants. But he don't do it in spite of us. As we said, uh uh-uh. Christ is divine. We are the branches. We'll be sure Christ does his part. But we determine if there's going to be any fruitfulness by how we yield to him. Otherwise, there will not be any fruitfulness. And so the spirit, man repents. Uh The gospel plan was all God. As John said, it was not by the will of man. God planned the processes and the prophecies all the way up until Christ. He had a plan going. 
Uh-huh. Man had nothing to do with it. But if man doesn't receive it by his will, it has no effect on him. So whether he's saved or not, the man determines that. Will I yield to God's grace or will I rebel? So repenting and confessing is man's yielding to God's spirit moving him. He's not going to do that for him. And the Holy Spirit is the helper. We are yoked with him. He's not dragging us along, doing everything, and giving us credit for it, as some seem to think it's irresistible grace. Well, they're demonic teachers and liars. Man is always, before and after salvation, held responsible for his actions to God, what he does and what he doesn't do. Okay? Our Christian calling and we should not be deceived. Many are. Many that are called Christians, most are not Christians. They're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Or they had religion. They believed the facts about Jesus, that he died on a cross and resurrected. And they'll even say, yeah, he's the Lord. But they were not regenerated. The Spirit did not move them. But that's what the world accepts as Christianity. Uh-huh. So uh, be not deceived, the Christian is called to a holy calling, not a mental assent to various beliefs, but a putting to practice and habit the life of Christ in us. So if a person is not living a holy, godly life, they are not a Christian. And if you call them so, you're a partaker of their evil, and God will deal with you. God knows who's his, but if you're in the practicing state of gross sin, no one has to accept your Christianity. And Paul told the church to throw such a person out. He said that wicked person, called him wicked, because he wasn't a Christian no more. But he didn't come back later, and the church accepted him. But at that time, he said, get rid of him. So if a person is not living, a godly and holy life, and is practicing the gross sins that the Bible names, he's not a Christian. You don't have to accept the Christianity. Yes, you can judge that. You judge the works. Because God's all judgments by God is according to works. Very seldom do you hear the word believe. Because he's looking for the works will prove the belief. So if you say you're a Lord, Lord, Jesus said to his disciples and others, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? Because otherwise, the majority of the masses, billions and millions that say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, I never knew you. See, he ain't interested in their lip service. Did you obey the gospel is what Revelation says. God will pour out his wrath on the world because they did not obey. Don't even use the word believe. They did not conform to the gospel. Okay? Oh, they may have had some knowledge. The devils believe that Jesus is Lord and tremble, but it does not save them. Okay? So why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? The love of God basically's foundation is to keep the will of God 
to do his commandments and duties. Has nothing to do here. And it's a sideline, emotions and moods and feelings. They don't prove nothing. I've had people tell me, well, I love God. I said, oh, you don't? Because you just told me you're living in adultery. But see, they have a feeling like you have for your cat or dog. It's an affection, a human thing. It won't prove nothing. I had one guy told me uh, he's living in adultery, a lawyer. He said, but it has to be God because it's so great and it's such a wonderful life. See, he's going by his feelings. And God said he's going to cast into hell the immoral and the adulterer and the sexual impure. The lake of fire is waiting for them. Mm -hmm. But see, people go by what they feel, their moods. The basic love of God for us has to be built on keeping his commandments, his word. And like he said, why call me Lord if you're not going to do it? Because you're not mine. Okay? But see, the false shepherds teach otherwise. God loves us no matter what we do, and he'll make a way. Well, that's the lying spirits. Okay? We do not work or serve in our own power. That's what he means, according to our own works. But Christ's spirit indwells us. He come alongside at us, and he strengthens the human spirit. The new man wants to serve God, and he delights in the things of God. But he still has a will that straddles any realm. The will is you. It's your choices. And there is no irresistible grace. There is no God making a person do something. Uh -uh. Judgment cannot be unless a person can be accountable. And he holds people accountable. That's why he can judge them for all their actions and what they do. It's their will that determines these things. So the Christian has the new man and Christ, but he still has the old corrupt nature trying to raise his head up, and it'll still be in us until the rapture or until we die in the Lord. Therefore, we groan to be delivered. We know where the temptations and trials come from, the lower nature. It is still there. It hasn't been cast out. That's why we have temptations toward evil part of the corrupt nature, and we're to overcome it and subdue it. And that's why Jesus said to the seven churches, if you overcome, he didn't say you have already overcome. You've only already overcome as you're still walking in the Lord. That don't mean it's forever. That's just in the present tense. So he said, if you endure to the end and overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, then you'll get these rewards. And he was talking to Christians, okay? So he strengthens our spirit, but we ultimately have to yield our will. And a lot of times we have that warfare, and sometimes we don't win. And if you keep losing the battles, you lose the war. You can't win a war by keep losing battles. Uh -huh. So if you don't overcome and you don't progress, you will regress, and you'll be cut from grace. Because you're given the ability and the help to do it, but if you still persist in what you want, you can do as you please. Uh -huh. And God will do what he sees as right. Okay. So we do not work or serve in our own power. 
but we have Christ's Spirit helping us. He's the helper, the Holy Spirit. He strengthens our human spirit, encourages us, gives us the ability to act, to use our will and mind as Christ did. Okay? He had to use it separately of the Father. He said, as the Father has life in himself, so he has given to the Son. The human Jesus, the divine and the human, he had a separate life. And he had to yield to the Father. And every miracle, except for one or two occasions, and God gave him permission, every miracle and sign Jesus did, he did as a man yielded to the Holy Spirit. He did not do as God. What a false belief there. He never performed a miracle until the Holy Spirit baptized him and he went up and was tested by the devil and overcame the devil. Then he came down in the power of the Spirit. Uh huh. But everything he did, his ministries, his healings, they're all done as the prophet, the servant, submitted to the Holy Spirit. Uh huh. That makes his victory greater. He had to live his whole life without consciously sinning one time. Can you imagine that? Humans cannot. And he had to do it as a human. Uh huh. Tempted at all points. If he wasn't tempted, it's a mockery. It's God's hypocrisy. And the people say, well, he couldn't sin. He was the son of God. Then God was a liar and a mocker. And the devil wouldn't have wasted his time. <laughs> no, the man Jesus, the son of man, had to overcome by resisting the devil and by obeying the father. And he said, I always do those things that please him. And he did it by choice. It was not automatic. Okay. Then we'll see how great a, a high priest we have. He understands God perfectly. He's God in his glory. But he's still the man. He's our mediator. Right now, for 2,000 years, he's the son of man. He's a man as our high priest in heaven, interceding for man. For he was tempted at all points and understands these things. And then he represents God as God himself. So he joins the two in his nature. So it was God's plan that Jesus Christ from the beginning would show things about his gospel and what he wanted to do with man, his purposes after the fall of salvation, that he wanted people originally not to sin, and Adam and Eve would have grown in wisdom and knowledge, and he would have let them eat of the tree of knowledge, and they would have been taken into glory. They never died. They would have had a spiritual human body as the angels have spirits. They were a unique creation. And that's what God intended. And so he restores us. Man is made in the image of God, but it's flawed now because of sin and the corrupt nature. Uh -huh. So he's going to restore through grace and faith. He's going to make another work. He can make another work. He can do that, okay? There is no wisdom or knowledge or understanding against the Lord. Let's finish in verse 9. Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us practical application that we can live 
day to day before you. In Jesus' name, amen.